There we go. All right. This morning we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about the days of Noah. And I was inspired by by Steve on Wednesday night. He brought some visual aids. And so I was inspired to do the same thing. I hold in my hand a relic from the not so distant past. Now I'm told that these things here are making a comeback. I don't know. I don't I listen, I hear you. What is this? It's a record, right? My dad used to have have some of these sitting around the house. He used to he used to listen to them. He told me back in his day, you either had one of two things. You had the radio or you had a record. Right? Back in the day, my dad had this long flowing caramel color hair. I don't know what happened with me. But uh he had it. He he had a record for you. Uh, with these right here, you had to have a record player, right? You had to have a turntable of some kind. I remember Dad used to have this big, massive table that weighed like three hundred pounds. Had speakers built into the bottom of it. The the player was at the top, and it had a piece of wood that you could close the top down to conceal it. I guess you just didn't want anybody to know that you had one. I don't know. And it doubled as a TV stand. And I remember that. I also remember that with these things right here, the worst possible thing that could happen is what? A scratch. If you scratch these things, what happened? They're done. Might as well throw them away. And why was that the case? They would just what? They would skip. They would skip. They would repeat themselves, right? You know, history is a lot like this record. It repeats itself. It repeats itself. Now, Jesus said, Jesus said, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. The things that happened in Noah's day is going to be what the future looks like. That's what He said. And when Jesus was talking about the future here in Matthew 24, He said history is going to repeat itself. I remember a few years ago, Noah's name was pretty heavy in the news. I was overseas at the time, but I remember hearing a story about this big blockbuster movie that was going to be coming out that Hollywood was going to produce. I was a little excited about it because I saw that they were going to put $120 million into the production of it. So I was like, okay, Hollywood's backing it up. They spent another $60 million to advertise it, so they're taking it serious. And then I saw that the cast, you know, you got to look at who's going to be playing these roles to see Russell Crowe's going to play Noah. I was like, okay, I like Russell Crowe, gladiator, good actor, you know. Jennifer Connelly's going to be his wife. Emma Watson's going to be his daughter. So they've went all out with the cast. So I was excited about this, okay. There ain't a whole lot of things in China to be excited about. I was excited about seeing a good movie. And so I'm getting ready to watch it. I knew I was going to see it before any of you because the thing about living in China is they don't believe in copyrights. So I knew I was going to have the bootleg edition before you ever saw it at the theater. So I'm excited about it. And then I read a quote. I read a quote from the director. I believe his name was Roman Orofsky. I think that's right. I probably butchered his name, but it's okay. They butchered the movie. And he said, and I quote, This will be the most unbiblical of biblical epics. What? We're going to take a story of the Bible... And it's going to be the most unbiblical that you've ever seen. At that point, I was still interested in seeing the movie, but I was more interested in seeing how bad it could be. How bad they could take it. Let me tell you something. 
If you go and watch the movie Noah to try to get biblical accuracy, it's like trying to watch a film on the life of Abraham Lincoln and going and watching Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. All right? That was the equivalent to it. We know from Scripture that the days of Noah were days of judgment, right? These were days of judgment. And God, we know that God destroyed the world with a flood, 40 days and nights of intense rain, and everything, man, beast, is killed, is destroyed. These were days of judgment. And it's important to study these days of Noah because as it was, it shall be. People of that day, I don't think they realized that judgment was coming. Could we say the same thing about modern society? Decades ago, Ruth Bell Graham, Graham, Billy Graham's wife, was quoted in the late 1960s, early 1970s. She was quoted as saying, if God doesn't judge America, I think he's going to have to issue an, an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. What would she say in 2020? Hopefully this morning this message will be some kind of a wake-up call because I believe that so many of us Christians have fallen asleep in compromise and mediocrity in our Christian lives. So what do we learn from Scripture about the days of Noah? If you'll turn over to Genesis chapter 6 and verses 1 through 6, Scripture says this about the days of Noah. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful. And they took wives to themselves, to all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, and his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of who were of old men of renown. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the, in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was, was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. This morning I'd like to make three observations from the days of Noah. And then after those three observations, I would like to make two applications. And then the lesson will be yours. The first observation is, and during the days of Noah, the devil is at work. He's at work. Now, we know that the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a, it's a book of origins. In Genesis 1, God spoke and everything came into being. And then in Genesis 2, we zero in on day 6 of creation, and God is telling us about creating man. Adam was created first, and then Eve is created to be Adam's his helper, to be the one suitable to him to be fruitful and to multiply with Him. And then we read at the very end of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 how everything is going. In Genesis 1 and verse 31, God says, Then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was what? It was very good. It was very good. Now we know, all the women in here know this morning, they know that it was good. And then when they came along, it was very good, right? Just like, you know, my life was good, and then Allie came into my life, and it was very good. Alright? That should get me out of any trouble I'm in. And so, and so in chapter 2, everything, at the start of chapter 2, everything's going good. And that's, when, and that's when God brings Eve to Adam, and they get married. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 
24, Scripture says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they're in the garden together. They're, they're, they're married. They're experiencing the love of God. They're, there's no shame. Life is wonderful. And then in Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning of Genesis 3, we're introduced to somebody else, aren't we? Who is that? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And so in chapter 3, we see the fall of man. Eve eats and she gives it to Adam. And their eyes are open. And then God comes down in the cool of the day and He wants to pay a visit. And what are they doing? They're hiding, right? They're hiding. They're ashamed. And then God pronounces judgment. And He asks them, Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? Eve blames the serpent. And then God pronounces judgment on the serpent. And in God's pronouncement of, of judgment on the serpent, something extremely important happens. Something extremely important happens. In verse 15 of chapter 3, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a veiled reference to the coming Savior. The one who would come into the world to save and redeem mankind. You see, the Bible is a story of sin, and it's a story of redemption. Adam heard what God had to say. Eve heard what God had to say. Did the devil hear what God had to say? You know he did. He heard that there's going to come an offspring of this woman, a seed of this woman. There's going to come a child from this woman that's going to crush my head. What do you think the devil's reaction was to that? Do you think he thought that he needed to get after that child? Absolutely he did. Absolutely that. Now why would, why would the devil be so adamant to stop, to break a promise that God made? Because if the devil can stop the promise, a promise of God, then what does God become? He becomes a promise breaker. And if God becomes a promise breaker, what do we call those people who break their promises? We call them a liar. And if God can become a, if God becomes a liar, then God becomes a sinner. And if God becomes a sinner, can God be God? He can't be holy God because He's now tainted with sin. And if that were to happen... The devil wins. You see, in the days of Noah, the devil is at work. He's at work. All we have to do is look in Genesis chapter 4 and see what's going on. He goes after Eve's offspring. In Genesis 4 and verse 8, we read, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Why would he do that? Because God didn't accept a sacrifice? He kills his brother. Abel's gone. And if you don't think the devil wasn't there whispering into his ears, you are sadly mistaken. The devil was at work trying to stop this promise from becoming true. And then in chapter 5 of Genesis, it talks about the godly line of Seth, Adam's other son. And, and, and then we arrive to our main text of 
chapter 6. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. We start to see now that the godly line of Seth co-mingles, co-inhabitates with the ungodly line of Cain. So what's the issue? What's the point? When the godly mixes up with the ungodly, you're looking at a polluted race. That's what the devil was trying to accomplish. He's at work. So Satan pollutes the people to a point where God says, I'm done. I'm done. We're gonna, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to flood the earth. Genesis 6.1 says that men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And out of, and you think about this. During these times, there were millions of people on this earth. How bad had the devil polluted the human race? How many people got on the ark? Out of millions of people, eight people chose God. Everyone else turned their back on Him. And you want to tell me that the devil was not at work in the days of Noah? The devil thinks that he's one. But here's the thing, God always has a remnant. And, and, and God saved Noah, and from Noah the Savior would come in to this world. The devil was at work. Second observation is that man, during the days of Noah, man goes from innocence to total depravity. Innocence is how God created man. He was totally innocent in the garden. And then he, then he goes from innocence to, 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 to his eyes being opened to a complete and terrible fall. Do you know how many years, what kind of time span there was from the creation of man to the flood? If you look at a geological record, somewhere in the range of 1,656 years. It took 1,656 years for this earth to get so bad that God said, I'm done. 1,656 years. But something that's very interesting about that is two guys who lived during that time, Adam and Methuselah. Adam lived to be 930 years old and Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. Adam was 687 years old when Methuselah was born, and Methuselah was Noah's granddaddy. Adam was 874 when Noah's dad was born. These people knew, they knew Adam. They knew him. They could talk to him. They could see what happened themselves. And what's important is both of these men saw with their own eyes the gradual fall of man into nothing but utter depravity and wickedness. Genesis 6 and verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Adam saw it, Methuselah saw it, and God saw it. Proverbs 15 and verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. The wickedness of man was off the charts. It was incredible. And that's what God saw. You think about that. Every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. During this time frame, only two things existed in this world. Vice and violence. Vice is immorality. More importantly speaking, sexual immorality. And it was rampant in this world. It was rampant in this world. People were, they're sinning. They don't really care what God has to say. 
They don't care what, what God thinks. They don't, they, they don't have any respect for what God's designed, what He's orchestrated. Does that sound like modern society? And yet, Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 37, As it was in the days of Noah, so, so shall it be for the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus also said in Luke 17 and 28, Likewise it was also in the days of Lot. What two places do we associate with Lot a lot? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And what do we know about those places? We know they gave themselves over to what? Sexual immorality, homosexuality, an incredible sinful environment. And there are two instances in the Bible where God brings total devastation. What are those two, what are those two times? Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood. Total devastation. It's just gone because it was vice. There's also violence during these days. Genesis 6 and verse 11 says, The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. You pull up the news today, what do we see on a continually daily basis? Every day I click on the news. I don't know why I put myself through this, but I do. I want to see what's going on in the world. You, you click on these stories and you think that mankind has hit a new low, right? And there's no way you can go any lower. And what do we find every day? A new low. I read a story about two teenagers, two boys, 117, 116 in Houston, Texas. And they were involved in satanic worship, or they thought they were. They, they lured a 15-year-old girl out from her home. And they abused her in many ways. They even carved an upside-down cross in her stomach. And when the police called them, they asked them, why did you do that? They said, the devil told us to do it because it was the last thing we needed to do to sell our souls to him. That's horrific, brothers and sisters. And every day we see something, we see something a little bit lower. The days of Noah were like that. They were filled with violence. It was a place that was irredeemable. God flooded it. We see that man goes from innocence to total depravity. And the last observation we're going to make this morning about the days of Noah is that God is grieved. He's grieved during the days of Noah. Genesis 6 and verses 6 and 7, And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart, so that the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God was sorry that he had made man because of how wicked man had gotten. He was grieved in his heart. Y'all, that's a serious pain. He was hurt. God was grieved because of what happened. Those are the three observations. Now, how can we apply this? What, what applications can we make? The devil was at work during Noah's day. You better believe he's at work right now. Because here's what happens. I'm going to throw a spoiler out there. The, uh, the devil tried to make God a promise breaker, but he couldn't do it. Jesus comes into this world, and he accomplishes what he came here to accomplish. And the devil's defeated. The only thing he can do now is take down as many of God's children as he can with him. You want to tell me he's not at work right now? 
Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. But yet, what do we do? What do we do? What music do we listen to? What movies do we watch? And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, we're talking about music and movies and stuff like this. You don't think that music and movies carry with it certain ideas and put forth certain things? You don't think they influence us? They do. They do. And yet, and yet even God's children will do what? We will we'll, we'll willingly put ourselves through that. We'll open up our hearts and our minds to that. You don't think that's the devil working through media? I love the way a person once was quoted as saying, a transformed Christian has an attitude of resistance to the values, to the goals and activities of the world which pressure that Christian into a secular shape. Matthew 6 and verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God says, you seek me first, not second, not third. And what do we do? We'll seek everything but Him. We'll do that. People who are going through, 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 through marriage problems, we won't go to God and what He says. We go to the person who's been divorced seven times to get advice. We don't seek Him. So many people have voids in their life. And what are they filling it with? Are they filling it with God and His Word? Or are we filling it with alcohol, with drugs, with the things of this world, with envy, with, with, with greed, with those kind of things? What are we filling these voids with? God says you choose Him. In Mark 12, verses 28 through 31, God has asked a question. What is the greatest command? He says simply, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And yet, still, God's children, what, what do we do sometimes? I will love God. I will love Him what? Up to the point that it cost me something, right? I'll love Him up to the point that it hurts. And then I stop. God says, you love me with everything you have. And sometimes we pull away. And then Jesus goes on to say, but the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. God says, extend a hand to those around you. And what do we do sometimes? We clench our fists. And why do we do it? We do it for so many secular things, whether it's, whether it's differences of things that's happened in the past, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whatever it is, we clench our fists. God says, you extend a hand, we clench our fists. Romans 12 and verse 1 says, we are told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's a complete surrender of body, spirit, and mind. Why do I bring up these things? I bring up these things because the devil is at work with each one of these things, even in the lives of God's elect. The devil is there to push us away. He's there to push us away. James 1 and verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. One of the greatest lies that the, that the devil has been able to tell us is that just showing up through those doors and sitting in that seat, even though those are comfortable chairs, is all you've got to do in this life. That's one of the greatest lies that the devil's been able to tell. Is church attendance important? Absolutely. But sometimes we walk through those doors and we sit in these chairs and we never open this thing up again. We come, we get our check mark, we learn about some biblical principles, we might or might not apply them into our lives. And that's where the study ends. 
we show back up on Sunday morning and we get our check mark. God says, I demand all because I have given all. But the devil says, all you got to do is show up. Just show up and get your check mark. How many times are we paying lip service just to God? Our second application is that, that God, identifies, God identifies with those that are hurting. Psalm 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And Psalm 147 and verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Do we struggle with believing that sometimes? Sometimes we go through times and, and we, might, we might struggle to believe that. A God that, is, a God that is so majestic, that is so powerful, that is so holy, and yet He tells me, he tells me that He's near to me. He tells me that He's there to help me through these, through these struggles. How can we take God at His word? John 11 and verse 35 is the sh- shortest verse in the Bible. And what does it say? Jesus wept. That's the guarantee, brothers and sisters. Jesus wept. So why is that so important? It's important because if you know the background, you know that Jesus was asked to come to, his, to a close friend, a close person in his life, Lazarus. He was asked to come and heal him because he's sick. And Jesus stays where he's at a couple more days. Lazarus dies, and as Jesus is over there making his way to there, and he's close to the house, Mary and Martha, they come out to him. They're upset. They're going through a through a grief that only, only those who've lost loved ones know what that grief feels like. And Jesus is so overtaken and so compassionate and so hurt by what he's seeing that he wept. He just didn't cry, he wept with them. This is the same Son of God, the same Jesus who was there at the very beginning. The same Son of God that saw and witnessed God speak things into creation. He's the same God that saw the... He's the same... Uh, son of God that was there that saw the fall of man. And when his time was called, he comes to the earth, he puts on human flesh. He's born into an average family. He understands, he's a carpenter, he understands what physical pain is. He understands what emotional pain is. He can sympathize with everything that we go through because he was amongst us and went through everything we go through. And that's why it's so incredibly important that he sits with God and intercedes for us. Jesus wept. That's incredibly powerful for the Christian. God identifies with those who are hurting. And as we close this morning, as we close this morning, brothers and sisters, I said at the very beginning that the days of Noah, the days of Noah were days of judgment. And I guess it's fitting that as we close, we kind of come to a crossroads. We come to a crossroads. We have to make a choice. Perhaps there's somebody who's sitting in here this morning and you haven't become a child of God because, for whatever reason, we make so many excuses. We don't want attention brought to ourselves. We don't feel like we can. We don't feel like we're ready. The devil puts so many things in our head to prevent us from coming and doing that very thing. He will give us every excuse. Every excuse. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says that it characterizes the, the, the devil as a roaring lion seeking to whom he can devour. 
When Peter was writing that, brothers and sisters, that was not a compliment. That was an eternal warning to those who would read. The devil will do everything he can to prevent you from making that choice. He's already done. He's defeated. He can only take down so many with him. And that's his goal. So we have a choice to make this morning. We can come forward. If you're not a child of God, you can come forward and you can choose to make Jesus the master, the Lord master of your life. Or you can choose not to. And hold on to whatever it is we're holding on. Revelation 21.4 tells us what awaits those who choose God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's what awaits the children of God. Is that something that you're interested in? If you are, come now while we stand and we sing.